over the last several days, um, each of the sermons that were given in this conference had a title. They had a topic. You could read the topic. You could read the title. You could determine whether or not that you wanted to go to that. And, and uh, people were kind of picking and choosing along the way. And it made me think of early on um, in ministry, uh, one of the things that I would do would try to be as clever as I could be with titles. Every sermon had a title, and I thought that was just the greatest thing in the world. And I look back and realize, pretty silly. Um, But hearing all these titles of sermons the last few days and reflecting on the past, I wanted to give this sermon a title tonight. Can we do that? Here's the title. The verse that comes after 2 Peter 1, 1. That's the title. You may know it as 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Because the Word of God will speak and it will do the job. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in the second verse tonight in the second epistle that Peter has written in verse 2. So let's read this. And see what the Word has to say. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a safe trip back. Lord, we thank you uh, that you watched over us and you protected us, God. And we thank you for the things that we had seen and witnessed and heard and and have grown um, in the last several days. We thank you for that. Lord, what a a privilege and an opportunity. But God, it's so good to be back with our church family here and to see everyone's face. And Lord, we pray that tonight as we look at this verse, that you would help me to preach it in truth. God, to see it for what it is. God, that we could all have a greater understanding of this verse, what it means and how to apply it to our daily lives, God. So help us, and Lord, help us to grow in your knowledge tonight. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So we see here in verse 2 that it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And if you, if you take just a few moments to look through uh, the, the New Testament, you will see a lot of letters written that start with grace and peace to you, or at the end of letters, grace be to you, peace be to you. And, and this is something that we have seen from Peter already, because if you go back to the first um, epistle that he wrote, 1 Peter 1, It doesn't take us very far to see these two words grouped together, grace and peace. And he says this in verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. That's what he says in 1 Peter 1, verse 2. And now he comes here in the second verse of this epistle, and he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now we're going to talk about grace and peace. And you know, this is a thing we've talked about before that sometimes so many of these little words, not little words, but big words that we give little importance to because we've heard them so much. How how many know what grace 
means in a greater way now than he did a year ago, or what mercy means, or what faith is, and how it's a gift. And, and, and we, we see all these words that we, they're churchy words, right? They're the words we grow up into church, and they're the words that we just say a dime or dozen. We just put them into songs, and we just say them all the time, and we really don't know what they mean. And if we do kind of know what they mean, we don't know the depths of what they mean. And tonight we're going to talk about those two words. That there's not a person in here that's not heard the words grace and peace. And we're going to look at these words. And, and the first one we're going to look at here is grace. And, you know, if you look at, we, we were, we've seen this around us all this week and this weekend, was the five solas of the Reformation. And, and uh, the sola, the, you, you see that they go through there, and it, the first one is sola fide, that is by faith alone that we're saved. I'm going to go out of order just a little bit because I'm going to save grace till the end. But sola fide, by, great, or by faith alone, is what brings our justification. And then we have sola scriptura, which means that it is scripture alone that is the, the rule of faith, and it is what guides us, and it's the inspired word of God. And then we see it's solus Christus, which is by Christ alone. It, it is through Christ and Him alone that we have any hope of salvation. And then we have sola Dei gloria, which means to God and God alone be the glory. And the one that typically goes up near the top of those solas is sola gratia, which means by grace alone. That we are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. It's not of ourselves. Have you heard that verse? We've covered that before. It's Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What does grace mean? Well, if you grew up in church, probably the definition that you have heard is unmerited favor. What does that mean? That means that you've done nothing to merit this love and this favor and this grace that God has shown you. There's nothing you've done. He looks at you and has grace on you when justice and wrath is due. He sees nothing in our own sinful ways, in our own sinful creature, that we would ever merit grace to be given by God to us. So it makes it grace. If it was something that you've earned, if it's something that you've done, if it's something you've merited back, it's no longer grace. Grace says you didn't earn it and you don't sure deserve it. And you can't demand grace or it's no longer grace. You can't demand mercy or it's no longer mercy. Grace is that moment when we understand that we are completely dependent on God for salvation. It is by grace that you've been saved. And it's through faith. Faith is the instrumental cause that he gives to you. Remember what we talked about last time we met? That we've received this faith. Faith was a gift that we're giving. God gives us this faith, and we put that faith in him, and that's what brings about our justification. And the only way we have the love and the faith to place into him is by sheer grace. That is how you're saved, by the grace of God. But here we see this term, grace and peace, be multiplied to you. But there's another parallel passage that we have to look at here, and it's the last verse in this whole letter. We're eventually going to get to this, who knows how long. But if you quickly turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 18, we see how his letter ends. 
He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here comes doxology. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So it, uh, is there a contradiction here? We'll say, what is the contradiction? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. That the grace that which we are saved by is unchanging. What do I mean by that? When God saves you by His grace, by grace through faith you've been saved, you're saved. It's not like day one of your salvation you have less grace than you do at the ending of your life. God's grace upon His believer in salvation, this salvific grace that He puts on His believer is unchanging. It's not like there's different degrees of how saved you are. His grace is the same. It is eternal on his believer. We are never living our lives where we're more saved today or less saved tomorrow. We are constantly saved because God's grace is immutable upon his children. That's how we can go to sleep at night. That's how we understand the doctrine of eternal security is because God's saving grace upon his believer is unchanging. That's good news. That's wonderful news. This should give us peace and comfort. There are no Christians who have a greater salvific grace. There's no Christian who's more justified than the next person. Because think about that for one second. How could someone be more justified? When you're justified, the imputed work of Christ is placed on that person. The, the, the perfect life of Christ and his sinless life and his completion of the law perfectly and his righteousness is transferred onto the, believe, or the one who believes and that person is declared righteous and they are then justified in the sight of God. If God's perfect righteousness is on the believer, how could there be any variance in that? God is holy. God is perfect. His grace upon every believer is the same. We don't look at someone and say, well, I have more grace than she does. I have more salvific grace than she does. I'm more justified than she is. Oh, but that person, man, they got it going on. They're more justified than I am. No, they're not. Now, they could be farther along in their sanctification. They could be farther along in their closeness to God, but they're not more holding on to grace than you are in quantity. Does that make sense? That the grace that God gives us is unchanging. However, what does this verse say? The, the, what we read in the last verse of 2 Peter 3, verse 18, it says that grace doesn't grow, but it says, but grow in the grace. Do you see the difference there? So we have to be careful to say that, well, the grace that God gives us, this saving grace, it varies. One day we may be really saved. One day he may really love us. Next day he may not. No. You're just as saved on day one as you are if you live 75 years in the faith. You're just as saved. God's righteousness is upon you. The imputed perfect work of Christ is upon you. You're saved. But your sanctification may vary. That's what this is going to talk about. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied in you. Grow in the grace that's been given to you. Not that grace may grow, but that you may grow in that grace in understanding. Go back up to the few verses here we have written on grace in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. It says this, For 
we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, wow, what's that sound like? Unmerited favor, which we had done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now listen, so that being justified by His grace, we would have been made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, it is that grace that saves you through faith. It is the grace that brings about this justification. So I ask you, can the grace that brings about your justification be changing? It cannot. So the person who has just been saved by Christ two weeks ago and the person who's lived 50 years in the faith, there's no difference in their security of salvation because the grace that God gives is the same and it's perfect. So wherever you are in your Christian walk, know that God's grace is what saved you and only God's grace because you could never save yourself and you didn't do anything to earn His grace. That's why it's grace. So we have to make these little distinctions that the salvific grace doesn't increase or decrease, but we're to grow in our knowledge of His grace is to increase, and we're to grow up into this grace. Romans 3.24, being justified as a what? As a gift. By what? By His grace. Not only is faith a gift, but grace is a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You see, every believer has the same grace given in salvation, but the level of sanctification and worship each person has is dependent on something. It's dependent on how much knowledge that you have of this grace and of God. So you see, we're going to see that grace is given equally, and we're going to see that peace is given equally. But then it's our responsibility as Christians to grow up into both of those. And we have to understand more about grace. And we have to understand more about peace. And when you understand both of those more, you grow up into that grace and peace. And it changes your lives. And you say, well, I want to grow up in grace and peace. I want to grow in that. I want to grow up into that. I want to understand grace more. I want to understand peace more. I want to have more peace in my soul when trials come. How do I do that? He's going to tell us. But it's not a difficult formula. You know how we do it? By knowledge of Him. Maybe you've heard that before, renewing the mind. Do you want to grow up in a grace and a peace? We've said this before. It seems like our mantra lately. I would do anything to be closer to God. I would do anything to have more understanding of peace and apply that peace in the difficult times in life. I would love to see the grace of God more fully in my life. Well, it's been given to you equally at salvation. And now it all comes down to renewing your mind and growing in that knowledge. This has been a theme. We saw it in Romans. We see it now. We see it all through the Bible. Go and grow in knowledge. It's not glamorous, is it? It's a roll up the sleeves. And when the pleasures of life call, 
hang up the phone and pick up his word. Hang up the phone and pour out your heart to God in prayer. Ask for wisdom. When the doors of church are open, come. Pray, meditate, study. That is the formula. It's nothing new. There's no new formula. Have you noticed that? We're 2,000 years on the other side of Christ, and there's not a new formula. The same words that were written to the first century Christians are written to us. And if the world goes on for another 10,000 years, do you know what the formula to grow in, into grace and peace and, and to grow in sanctification is going to come down to? The knowledge of God. That's it. This is what he's saying. Grow into it. Let it be multiplied in your life. Grace. But then he says that we're to do this into peace. Let it be multiplied. Grow up into this. And we know that in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 9, that at the moment of our justification, something amazing happens. Is that before this moment of justification, we live in a moment that should terrify every human being, that we are enemies of God, hostile to God, unable to please God. You see, the Bible talks over and over about reconciliation, doesn't it? Let's just take those terms, and we've heard it in life. How, how, what, what is necessary for reconciliation? A separation. Why do you need reconciliation if you're together? If you're whole, why do you need something to be reconciled? You don't. You have reconciliation when two parties are estranged. You have reconciliation when the two people or the two entities are, are opposite of each other. There's warring, there's fighting. That's what reconciliation brings, is those two opposing parties together. And the Bible says that we must be reconciled, not to just a human being. Have you ever had, quote-unquote, war with other fellow human beings? Or you have battles with them, you're at odds with them, you struggle with them. May get hostile, it may get nasty. We've all had opposition in our life. We've all had, quote unquote, people that come against us as enemies, and, and, or even family, or even friends, or even church people. There needs to be reconciliation because the parties are estranged. And, and you know, that leaves a difficult part in our soul that we don't like that, and we want everything to be reconciled, and we want there to be peace. But there's nothing in this life more terrifying than your enemy being God Almighty. The book of Psalms tells us this picture of God and, and says that His arrow is in the bow and His heart and the heart of the sinner is His target. As Spurgeon said, I say this, I've said this every time we come to this passage, that C.H. Spurgeon says that when God puts the target on a heart, He doesn't miss when He lets go of that arrow. Can you imagine that? Think about all the enemies you've had in your life. And before God saved you by His what? His grace. That you were enemies with the God of this universe. Is there anything more terrifying than that? Nothing. Well, how do you... How do you get reconciliation? How, how does peace come? How does this war that you have with the eternal God of the universe, how does it cease? The Bible tells us. 
Do you remember that we're justified by His grace? And we're saved by His grace through faith? Faith is this instrumental cause. It's the, it's the tool that brings about that justification. And in His grace toward us, He gives us faith. And then we take that faith and we put it into Him. And this brings about our justification. But listen to what Romans chapter 5 says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, listen, we have peace with God. I don't think we understand the significance of that verse. We just go along and say, he saved me. Heaven is my home. There's no greater enemy that you could ever have than God. And unless the mercy and the grace of God was given to you as a gift, then all through this life, and all through eternity, you would be on the receiving end of the unbridled wrath and the fury of God Almighty. We see the devastation in war. We see the devastation of families, of people that they have in war. We see the casualties. We see the war that's going on across the world now. And we see all the turmoil. We see all the devastation. There is no greater war that a human could ever experience than the war with God. And the only reason that you can sit in this room tonight and say that you have peace with God is because of the grace and the mercy of this God. You could never come to him and say, oh, please, 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 let's let the war be over. You know why you couldn't do that? A couple reasons. Because in your own unregenerate soul, you would never want that. You know, we have this misunderstanding of people that go to hell. We have this, we have this concept that, oh, just give them 10 minutes in hell and let them stand before God again. Bring them up out of hell and in their unregenerate state, put them in front of God and say, here's the choice you have. Love this God. Confess him as the Lord of your life. And you don't have to go back. Do you know what every person would do? They would turn around and they would march themselves back to hell. Because in their unregenerate state, they hate God. Think about that. How many times? Oh, give them three minutes in there. Give them a second in there and they would change their mind. No, they can't. The Bible says that they are unable to do so. They are at war with God in this, on this planet and it continues all through eternity. And the only one way that one can have peace with God and have affection for God is if the God of this universe has given that to you via His grace and His mercy. But if you're a Christian, you have peace with God as you sat here tonight. And that's the greatest news that you could hear. Is that you've went from an enemy to a child of God. Again, how? By His grace. Here's what it says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, we have faith. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Verse 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. It is only by the work of Christ that we have this. You see, so when He gives you this peace, when, when the peace between you and God is, is, is appeased, when that war is over, that war does not come back into action again. You have peace with God. That peace is eternal. That peace is final. It's firm. It is eternal. You, you can't have more peace with God from day one of your salvation as far as it comes to justification as you do in the last day of your life here on earth. The peace is there. The peace is always going to be there because it has been satisfied by God. You see the foundations we're building here is grace is unchanging in the, in the amount and in, in what it happens to us in our salvation. And the peace that we have for God doesn't go up and down like this. Both grace and both peace are given in equal amounts to every believer from the time of their conversion. And that is unchanging all the way through. That's the point he's saying here. Those two things are the same. Now, he does give us different gifts according to his grace, but that's not what this is talking about here. He's saying, I want you to understand the grace that I've given you. And I want you to understand the peace that you have. And I want you to grow up into them. I want you to understand them more. I want you to see truly what they are. And that comes by knowledge of God. What an amazing thought that is. Let me, let me see if I can find this really quickly. Because so many people think that, well, God won't be there. And he won't be really present delivering out this punishment in hell. Well, listen to what Revelation 14 says. In verse 10, it says this. It says, Revelation 14, verse 10. It says, He will also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of His anger, and He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. He's omnipresent. It will be God pouring out His wrath every moment, every second, every day with no end. But if you're a Christian, you've been given grace as a gift and you have peace with Him. And that wrath that you just read right there was satisfied by Christ on the cross. The peace a believer has with God at the time of justification is unchanging. However, the more knowledge we have of God, the more peace we'll have in our souls when trials come. We're growing up into this grace. We're growing in this knowledge. And, and, and just really quickly here, uh, we, we, we've paralleled this before, but in Numbers chapter 6, there's Aaron's benediction. It's in verse 24 through 26. And, and this ties in with uh, Romans chapter 4, and it talks about those who are blessed. You've probably heard this before. We've done it, but we'll, we'll touch on it briefly. There's a correlation between who is the blessed one. Because Romans chapter 4 says, Blessed is the man whom God... whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered, blessed is the man to whom sin the Lord will not take into account. So the one who is blessed here in the New Testament is the ones who've had their sins forgiven and covered and 
whom sins the Lord will never take into account again. That's the imputation of Christ. That's him forgiving our sins. And we see this word blessed. And then we go all the way back to number six. And I want you to see grace and peace come into this as well. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. There's the grace. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So the one who Romans 4, Paul talks about is the one who's blessed because their sins have been covered and the imputation of Christ has been placed on them. In the great exchange, we go all the way back to the Old Testament and we see the parallel that those are the ones whom God has made his face shine upon and he's lifted his countenance upon and he's been gracious to them and he's given them peace. Grace and peace given by God. But then he says in this verse, verse 2 of 2 Peter 1, it says, let it be multiplied to you. The grace and peace we have at salvation can't be increased or decreased. However, we are commanded to grow in this. And how is this accomplished? It is accomplished by knowledge of God. The more we know about God, obviously, the more we will understand about His grace and the peace we have through Him. And this will increase sanctification, increase doxology, and it will, it will change how we handle life's tests. I wrote a few things down here. It says, God's peace doesn't change, but the peace we have in situations will increase in direct relationship to the knowledge we have in Him. God's grace on believers doesn't change, but our understanding of His grace in the trials of life will shape how we handle every situation in life. And this is directly correlated to the, the knowledge we have of the Word of God. We see some examples of this in Paul's account in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Many of you know this passage of Scripture. Uh, this is where Paul has been given this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And what does he do? You know, we live in a world where uh, people teach us, false teachers, false prophets, and they will say, it is God's will that every person is healed. And if you're not healed, you just don't have enough faith. Okay, let's do the test. Who here thinks Paul had enough faith to be healed? I certainly do. And he prayed three times. And you know what God's answer to him was? No. But why? What is he, he doesn't leave just Paul out there and say, hey, listen, man. No. But he utters these beautiful words. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 12, he says, And he said to me, speaking of God to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe the, the grace that God has given you in salvation is sufficient? He has given you grace. He has given you mercy. He has given you love and favor. He has called you out of the darkness into the light. And what is his promise to all believers? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll walk with you. Everything's working for your good. Everything's going to increase your sanctification. All your trials are producing a greater faith in you. It's being refined. God says, no, Peter or Paul, I'm not going to do it. You know why? Because my grace is enough for you. Have you ever prayed something? And thank goodness God's way came about. 
as opposed to yours and mine? You see, once we begin to go back to what grace actually is, then no matter what comes in our life, the more that we understand and grow in the knowledge of grace, then it will change how we respond and how we live in our life. God, here's my prayer. No. Okay. You show me grace in salvation. You gave me this gift that I don't deserve. You've indwelled me with the Holy Spirit through grace. You've given me your presence to lead me and to guide me. You've given me grace to make sure that I get to the eternal home. So whatever you say, because I know your grace, then let it be. You see, the more you know about God's grace upon you, the love that was shown to you and the promise that he gives his people, the more knowledge you have of this grace of God, then you can be like Paul. When the things you pray for continue in your life. Or heartaches come in your life. Or good things come in your life. Then you could hear those words like Paul heard. My grace is sufficient for you. See, what does he say? My grace is sufficient. It's unchanging. But what changes our response? To that grace, it's knowledge of that grace. This is why he's saying, let it be multiplied in your life. Grow up into this grace. The grace is there. Know about this grace. Learn about this grace. Understand what it is. And the more that you know that, the more that your life grows in sanctification. And the way you handled something 20 years ago is not how you're going to handle it now because you're growing up into that grace. You know that grace was given to you undeserved and you start to give grace to people that they don't deserve. You see, you're growing up into this grace. Where, we else, do we, where else do we see this? We see this in Paul's last writing to Timothy. He's in prison and he's sitting there all alone. And what does he say? He said, this person's deserted me. This person has deserted me. I've still got this thorn in the flesh that God told me His grace would be enough for. And you know what Paul knew as he was sitting there getting ready to die and he still had the thorn in the flesh? Do you know what Paul knew? That God's grace was sufficient. And Paul gained knowledge of this grace. And that's why at the end of his letter, as he's getting ready to die, what does he say? Everybody else could have deserted me. But. But what? But the Lord stood with me. Remember, He saved you by grace. He came and sought you out. You didn't seek Him out. He sought you out. He came and He sought you out and He, and he tracked you down and he, and he changed you. And that God who from all eternity past 
did everything to save you and to rescue you. The God who come to run to you and to save you is the same God who's going to stay there with you. And that grace that was applied at the time of your salvation is going to be the same grace that you have when you're sitting in a prison cell moments before death. Paul knew that. How did he know that? Because of the knowledge that he had in his life. And that's why Paul can say, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that though through me the proclamation may be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, by the way, in case you're wondering, what was the last sentence that Paul ever recorded before he died? In all the hardships that he had, in all the imprisonments that he had, of all the, the days of the thorn in the flesh, and God saying, my grace is sufficient for you. You know the last sentence that Paul writes before he dies? I'll read it to you. Grace be with you. That's Paul's last words. Grace be with you. It's always with you. If you're a Christian, would you have handled that like Paul? Or would you have been cursing God? It takes a lot less for us to get angry with God, doesn't it? Why am I in this? Paul's sitting there in prison, getting ready to die, and he says, grace be to you. Grace be with you. You see, the grace of salvation's been there. What brought Paul to this statement? He was growing up in grace and knowledge of God. We also see this in practical application in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Who here has ever went through something difficult in, the, in your life. And it seems like this peace that God promises is almost elusive, isn't it? It's almost like, well, you've promised me and I don't know where to find this. Where's this peace you talk about? How do I, how do I understand this peace more? I think we would all be safe to say that if I was to say, and we gave a survey, who here would love to have more peace in their life? in the middle of trials, in the middle of heartaches, we'd be like, yes, I want peace. Good. Do you know how you get that peace to be more prevalent in your life? you know how you grow up into this peace? By knowledge of God. By growing in knowledge of God. Because when you know who God is, when you know He's the Prince of Peace, and you know that the trials are not strange, but they're there for a reason, and you know that they're working out to bring about sanctification in your life, what does that do to the mind and the heart of the believer? It should give them peace. When the world is crumbling around, the promises of God aren't. When peace looks like what is everyone is chasing in the world and they can't find it, that's true because the unbeliever never has peace. Isaiah 48 says that there is no peace ever for the wicked. Every person that you come in contact with, whether it be at work or your friends or your family, and they struggle and they look like they can never find peace. Know this, they never have. If they're not a Christian, they have never had peace in their life for one second. They may pretend they do. They may act like their, their happiness is, is masking what they think is joy and peace. They don't have it. You can't have peace unless the Prince of Peace resides in your soul. 
But if you're a Christian, you have peace between yourself and God. And then he gives you peace in your soul. And if you want to have more peace in the most difficult times in life, do you know what you do? You pick up your Bible and you read about the nature of God. You read about who God is. You, you read about His promises. And you learn everything you can about this God and His Word. And I promise you this. Through sanctification, when you begin to look back that every trial that you go through, you're going to have more peace in your soul through them. Doesn't mean the trials are going to get any easier. But it means the grace and the peace of God are going to be multiplied in your life by this knowledge of God. Think about what it says here in Philippians 4, verse 6 through 8. For all those who've ever been anxious one time in your life, listen up. That's everyone, isn't it? It says, be anxious for nothing. Okay. I just got a book by R.C. that says, hard sayings, difficult passages in the Bible. For many... Doesn't that seem impossible? You're like, why would he put that in there? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We've talked about this before. He doesn't say that your prayer is going to get answered after you say that in the way that you want it to be answered, does he? He just says, come and pray to God. Prayer is this heart of worship. Prayer is declaring that God is God. Prayer is changing our lives and our minds to say, not my will, but yours be done. And do you know what gives the Christian peace in their soul? Is that when we can come to the state in our life to where we can fully grasp in every situation that God's will is a trillion infinity times better than ours. That's how you have peace in your soul. You come and you pray. And you say, God, I know I can't change your mind. You're not a man that you should lie. You're not a, a human being that you should change your mind. Your ways are eternal. Your decrees are established. There's nothing I can do to change your mind. But here's my prayer. And if what I'm praying is in accordance with your word, then great, amen, let it be. But if it's not... I'm going to step aside. And the only way that a human mind can have peace in their soul is to be honestly able to pray, your will be done. Because if you know who God is, don't you want His will to be done? See, the more you know of who God is, you say, I know me. <laughs> How many things have I messed up in the last week? How many things have I got wrong the last week? See, the higher our knowledge of God is, we know that He's immutable. We know that He's perfect. We know that He's sovereign. We know that He's good. And the more we know about God, and the more we know that trials are coming for our good, even though they hurt like crazy, they're for good. That's how we have peace. Not because of us. We have peace because our eyes and our minds and our hearts go back to the Word. 
his word says, peace I leave you. Not like the world thinks they have peace. Not as the world gives do I give. But he says in John 14, 27, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then guess what he says after he talks about peace? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Has your heart ever been troubled? Yes, it has. And I promise you, it's not because you had too much knowledge of God. Neither is mine. When I doubt, and when I don't have peace, and when I question, do you know what that's a good indication of? I don't know enough. He also goes on to say in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken to you, so that in the world you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So when the storm comes and the trial comes, if you don't have enough knowledge of God, what do you say? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this is going to turn out good. I don't know if God's got it under control. You know what happens? Peace. It will be hard to be found in your life. Sure, you have peace with God and you're justified and that's not changed. But the difficulty and the hard times you have getting through trials are going to be even harder when you and I don't know about God. But now let's look at the difference. Something comes in your life. Wait a minute. He promised me I'd have tribulation. Here it is. He promised the world would hate me. Here it is. He said, don't find it strange when trials come. Not strange. Happens every week. <laughs> and we despair. But in those moments, if we look back and we say, wait a minute. He's overcome the world. He's on his throne. He's refining my faith. He would never leave me nor forsake me. He gives me his peace. He gives me himself because he's the prince of peace. These trials are just momentary. God is sovereign on his throne. You see, the more knowledge that you bring into that situation, guess what your mind begins to find? Peace. Here's what I can guarantee every one of us in this room. The next time that you and I don't feel like God's grace is sufficient for us and we can't find peace in the middle of a trial, here's what we can be 1,000% assured of. We simply don't know enough about God. It's as simple as it gets. Think about where you are now in your faith. The way you handle trials and, and situations now, are they different now because you know who God is more than you did a year ago? When things come and you understand the sovereignty of God, doesn't that make things a little easier to get through? It's like the guy falling down the stairs. Thank goodness that's over. He's got it under control. He knows what he's doing. So the next time that you find yourself struggling with a situation, 
or just feel like your sanctification is at a standstill, you don't have to search long. There's, there could be sin in your life. I'm not saying any of that. That needs to be taken care of and, and friendships that need to be reconciled. All those things can be. But at the heart of the matter, here's what you need to know. And I need to know. I don't know who God is enough. Because if I grow up into that grace that He's given me, and I grow up into that peace that He's given me, it will be multiplied to me in the fullest measure. And my life will respond accordingly. Let me finish this up here really quickly in Philippians 4, 6 through 8. It says that you're to come, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then after you bring that to God, look what happens in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. doesn't say anything about the way the prayer is answered there, does it? doesn't say that you come and present your request to God, He answers it the way you want it. He says you come and you pray to Him, and then once you know that it's in the best hands in the universe, then you have peace in your soul. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You know where you're going to find every one of those things at? In the Word of God. You know where you're not going to find those at? Secular TV shows. Secular music. About 99.9% .9 of everything you see in the world. Is there going to be anything wholesome to it? So he says, listen, what you think upon is going to indicate the peace you have in your soul. Well, if I don't watch TV, what will I have? I'll have all this time. What will I spend this time doing? That's a great question. I've got a great answer. <laughs> you see how he's removing everything to get you to this. The more you know about God, the more peace and grace that you'll understand. Listen, he goes on to say, he says, dwell on these things. Verse 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things. Don't just listen to them tonight and don't practice them. Practice the things that God says. And guess what will happen? And the God of peace will be with you. I'm just going to end with a few things here. I, I had wrote this down and I thought it was very important. That we are to grow in grace and peace and have this multiplied in our lives. You know why? To be a witness to our family, to our friends, and to the world. I was driving home last night, and I had the majority of everything that I was going to preach on today. And I remember I pulled out my phone. I was like, started typing it in the notes because I, it just came up on my heart that this is such an important matter. You all know the world is watching you and me. You call yourself a Christian, guess what? You have got a million eyes on you every day. If you're a parent, guess what? Oh, you've got little eyes on you. Or if you're an adult, big eyes. Your kids are always watching you. If you're a grandparent, guess what? Grandkids are always watching you. 
you're a co-worker, guess what? Your co-workers are always watching you. If your friends are not Christians, guess what? They're always watching you. What would they see about your level of trust in God if they were to watch how you respond in the middle of the hardest trials of life? Because here's what I know. If there's ever a people that should not be running around in a panic, it's the Christians. Sadly enough, it's just the opposite a lot of times, isn't it? We run around like we have no idea what we're going to do. We, have, we, have, we run around like the God that we serve doesn't run this universe. We come to trials in our life and we can't even grasp for a second peace that fills our soul. Why? Think about that. What am I teaching my kids if a situation comes into life and I'm so upset and panicked and I ruin everything and I make everybody's life miserable and, and I don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to figure this out? What are we going to do? I'm so concerned. I don't know. I have no peace. You know what they're going to see? Man, I, I, thought, I thought God run this universe. And I thought he cared for his people. Dad, why are you, why are you always like this? Why are, you, why are you so worried? Dad, you said, I've heard you preach. That, you, you said that, that the trials in life are just for our good. They're, they're working to refine our faith. Then why are you so upset and so distraught? You see what I'm trying to say? We're to be stewards of every day of our lives. And if you're a Christian... And every day of your life is in worry and panic and stress. I say this in all love and I say it to me. You simply don't know enough about our God. Grow up into this grace. Grow up into this peace. Let it be multiplied in your life. The world should look at the Christian and say, why don't they worry? How do they handle it like this? Your coworkers should do the same. Your kids, your grandkids, your friends. How are we stewarding those moments? We simply just don't know enough about who God is. And we don't know enough about His grace and His mercy and His peace and His promises and His word. Let me say this, that growing in grace, this is important. Listen, we are so, if you just look, we're almost to the bottom. I've said in a lot of services the last few days, it's been very difficult. We're almost done. Not, not difficult to listen to, but it's like preaching. He's, I, I really love it, and I'm thankful to be here tonight. Growing in grace, your growth in grace and peace, this is important, is not measured by time. What do I mean? Well, we cannot use this equation that says 
I've been a Christian for two years, so therefore I am farther growing up into this grace and peace than someone that has been a Christian for six months. The time of your Christianity is not the measure of how much you've grown in grace and peace. Take it from personal experience. I sat in church for over three decades, and I look back, and you know what I know? I knew absolutely hardly, absolutely nothing. I didn't know how to grow up in grace and peace. Didn't even know what grace was until I was 36 years old. Amen. I didn't know what true peace was. Amen. So it's not the time of your Christianity that determines the growth of your grace and peace up into that. It's not even the involvement in church activities. So many people are deceived. They say, well, I come and I do this in the church. And I do this in the church. And you want to know something? I've really, really began to get closer to the Lord. And now I have two jobs in the church. You see what I'm saying? Your level of activity in a church is not an indication of your growth up into the grace and the peace of God. Remember, the Bible says there's going to be many that profess His name on that day, that sat in church all their life, that went to every event, that participated, that volunteered in church activities for 50, 60, 70 years, and they are going to be at war with God when they die and not enter heaven. I'm glad you're here. I love when you're here. I want you to be here every time. But that's not determining the level of growth up into grace and peace. You could sit there and not grow. But here's what I do know. Let me say this. I know you're all grown because I can see it. It doesn't take five seconds to talk with you all and I know it. And I see that and I appreciate that. But more than that, God does. And here's another thing that it is not predicated on. You ready? Your growth is not predicated on your feelings. Oh, if there's anything that's the greatest deceiver in all the world today, outside of the devil, it's our feelings. Your feelings are like a roller coaster, aren't they? God's grace is not. God's peace is not. But our feelings are. And your feelings are not the test to see your growth up into this grace and peace. But you know what it is measured up to? It's measured in the light of the knowledge one has of God. And then, because remember, there are people that have knowledge of God. Gets in the head, but doesn't get to the heart. But then that knowledge of God then gets put into our daily lives. That's your test for the growth that you have in the grace and peace. You could sit here all day. I, you could say, I got it, I got it, I know it, I got it. Yes, check, 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 know it, got it. But you have to let that be in the horizontal aspect of your life. Because when it really is, if you're a Christian and it really gets into your knowledge, guess what will happen? It will come flowing out of you.
it will be evident in your life. That's what a true Christian does. They learn about God. They know God. God changes their soul. They see who He really is, and, and that affects how they live their life. Remember the horizontal and the vertical? Learning about Him, growing in Him, that's the vertical. That leads to the horizontal. This is tough, isn't it? The Word has issued a challenge tonight. Multiply. Let it be multiplied to you. Grow up into that. And that comes by knowledge. I'll leave you with this. A couple of verses that I don't have on here, but think about what Jesus says in one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, John 17, the high priestly prayer. In verse 17, he says this, Sanctify them in your truth, or in truth. Sanctify them, set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. In the last letter that we have in the book, Revelation, that's written to the churches, the last verse that we have in all the Bible says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You see, we have a peace that surpasses all comprehension. And we have, a, we have a grace that some would say is amazing. So let us grow in the knowledge of both those things and of our God. Because you know why? That higher theology equals higher doxology. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this privilege and honor to preach your word tonight. Lord, we've all been challenged here tonight. And this challenge will never stop until we are finally with you. Because we can never stop learning and we can never stop growing in the knowledge of who you are and of your word. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for our arrogance, Lord, for the times we get so content that we know more now than we did a year ago and to so, so many times we think that's just good enough. Lord, it's never good enough. Lord, let us continue to grow in the knowledge of you to know who you are. Because God, if we truly knew who you were, then we would understand grace. And if we could say what one of the hardest verses in the Bible says, that we could be anxious for nothing. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to worship you. And pray, God, that you would just give us a desire that never is quenched to grow in your word. We give you all the glory and thank you for your patience upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.